trying to be flawless Has me spinning my head Catching my breath Too afraid to slow down I tell myself to keep this up That God wants more than just my love But I've been complicating things It's just like me Let's pray. Father, it does seem rather simple. Some of us have walked with you for a long time. Some of us are just new and experiencing the amazing gospel message where you died on a cross so that you might shed your blood, pay my debt for sin so I can be reconciled to you. And then you just talk to your followers. And you said, keep loving me and keep loving others. Father, we ask you today that you would do something special in each one of us. That you would open our eyes to perhaps some blind spots that we might understand the power and the authority of a relationship with you. 
and the purpose that it gives us. We are so grateful for you, Lord. We are grateful for all the different churches in our county, in our state, and in our world who are proclaiming the good news, sharing with people hope so that you might take their shackles and free them. Lord, it's hard not to think of the disaster down in Bahamas. We know, Father, we have five converged churches there. And they are just surviving right now. They don't have opportunities like we do to meet and to gather in a safe place. Theirs has been destroyed. We ask you, Father, for grace for them. And that you would empower them. And even later today, Father, when we have an opportunity to give, that you would move in each one of our hearts. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Ephesians. It's an amazing book. I hope it's a book that's given you wings and that you are really encouraged as we continue to, well, plod through it. But this is a new season. This is the Sunday traditionally that that all the ministries kick off. This is the time when a new school year has begun, or at least tried to begin. So we're going to look at something what I call the greats. It's going to be really, really important as we begin a new year that we literally understand what really was important to Jesus. So because it's a new season and there are fresh starts and hope is renewed, we're going to look at what I think are three critical texts. One today, one next week, and the following one the following week. We're going to look at the Great Commandment today. Next week, we look at the Great Invitation. And the following week, we look at the Great Commission. Now, to put us in context here, Jesus was just about to be crucified. Jesus was just about to head to the cross. And that last week that he was alive, he continued teaching and encouraging his followers in all different ways. But right before he went to the cross, there was uh, a religious person. And he asked this. He said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Imagine asking Jesus that. I mean, one of the amazing things that the disciples got to experience that none of us did is that we literally, or or they literally got to live with Jesus. I mean, we can read about Jesus and we can, well, just be in awe of who he was and how he responded. As we learn about him, we're drawn to him. But just think, to be able to ask Jesus any question you could ask him. Well, let's let's turn. 
Let's turn to Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. And we're going to jump back and forth, but if you want to open your Bibles there, your flat screens, um, we'll eventually end up in Deuteronomy, but, but we're going to start there right now. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 28. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. The second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now I'd like you to turn your Bibles over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's right in the, in the beginning of your Bible. It's the fifth book, Deuteronomy chapter 6. But Jesus, if we understand this, this is recorded for us in Matthew 22 and in Luke 6, Jesus didn't even hesitate. When, when he was asked, what's the most important thing? What's the most important commandment? Jesus replied quickly. And literally, the Jews understood this. It was a Jewish audience. He knew he was quoting from Deuteronomy, and he knew he was quoting from Leviticus. But first, we're going to go to Deuteronomy. And I'm going to read for you Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. Sounds exactly what Jesus just had mentioned. Every Hebrew family knew this, these two verses, though, as something just a little bit different. They would, call it, they would call it the Shema. And they would repeat every Orthodox Jewish family would repeat this prayer when they first got up in the morning and right before they went to bed at night. Now, just like anything else, I'm sure some of it got rote, and I'm sure they could just spit this out like crazy. But it was something so very, very, very familiar. It was part of the fabric of the culture. So literally, what Jesus was saying was this. You know what the most important commandment is. You guys say it every morning. You say it every evening. I'm just going to repeat it to you one more time. Now, if we go back to Deuteronomy, when Moses was sharing his last sermon, remember Moses was an amazing man of God. He was considered a friend of God. He walked with God he was drawn to God. He loved God. But because of his sin, because of his rebellion, he was not allowed to go into the promised land with the rest of the Israelis. And so what happened right at the end of his life, he gave a sermon. And that's what Deuteronomy is. And so he shared his heart with the people that, 
that he just spent 40 years walking in the wilderness with. And in chapter 6, we came to a critical part. And he said this. He said, listen, pay attention. The words I am going to share with you are critical. And then he starts off. It's a little odd, but I think you'll get it. The Lord alone is our God. He wanted to make sure no other gods are out there. You guys have all experienced his faithfulness over these last 40 years. And there's going to be a tendency down the road for you to maybe worship other idols. But what I want you to make sure you understand is God is God. And then he said something, you must love the Lord your God. Now, again, you've read this text before, so many of you, and it may not seem odd, but doesn't that seem like a little odd? It's kind of like a guy or a girl walking up to you and never meeting them before and saying, hey, I want you to know, you need to love me. We're going to get married. All of a sudden you go, okay, I I didn't get the same message. But this isn't like someone not knowing anybody walking up and just saying, hey, you have to love me. This was a God they had a relationship with. But you still look at that and you go, isn't it still a little bit odd? But let me remind you of this, especially those that perhaps have been married for a long, long time. I don't know, 15 years, 30 years, 50 years. You know what? Sometimes it's not that you never fall out of love with that beautiful woman. It's that sometimes you forget. And sometimes life gets really busy. Or sometimes there's too many diapers. Or sometimes the bills get too much. And you can just fill that in. And and sometimes you just forget to love the way God intended you to love that person. And I think this is a little bit where Israel's at. You've had a great experience with God. You've seen him provide for you. But what I want to remind you is, I want you to love the Lord your God. Keep loving him. Now, certainly this involves emotions. But I want you to also know it involves much more. I want you to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Over the last few days... I've asked some guys, and I just basically asked them a question. They looked at me a little odd, but I told them why I was asking. How do you show your love to your wife? How do you show your love to your wife? Now, here's some answers. Well, she likes when I hug her. She likes when I serve her. She likes when I please her. That was a big one. She likes when I listen to her protect her, provide for her, when I'm faithful to her, when I talk well of her to others. Oh, she, she likes that. Well, really what Moses was doing for the children of Israel, he said, listen up. You may have forgotten how to love God. You may have forgotten that this God is so amazing or whatever, What I want to do is tell you how to love 
your God. And he starts off, again, very basically, the Lord alone is our God. Be faithful to God. There are going to be other gods that may entice you, but they're not like your God. They're not faithful like your God. They're not loving like your God. But all the way through history, if you look especially in that Older Testament, that the children of Israel ran from God, literally. You read in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Hosea, especially these prophets, sent to be able to proclaim God's faithfulness to a group of people that were running wildly away from God, trying any new fangled God. And it broke God's heart. But the truth is, idols are just not bales like in the Old Testament. Idols are anything that takes the place of God. Anything we begin to worship. Anything we begin to adore. But no matter what that idol is today, let me assure you, all idols disappoint. They just do. All idols disappoint. There's only one true God. There's only one faithful God. There's only one God that will continually meet your needs for all of your life and all for eternity. Now, loving God involves your heart, your heart, all of your heart. Now, in our culture, we seem to separate our head in our heart, right? You've often said, and maybe you've heard it at least, saying, you know what? My heart tells me to do this, but my head says I need to go in this direction. Now, I just want you to know that anyone from a Hebrew background would think that is crazy. All right. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean your head and your heart and all this, this kind of thing? Hebrews saw very clearly that you think with your heart. You see, the heart here means your inner person, your mind, your will, your thoughts. And so literally, what Moses was saying is, hey, I want you to love God. I want you to think about God. I want you to recognize that God is your authority. Focus on God. Think about God. Dream about God. Nurture that relationship with God. If you're reading Psalm 103, it may give you a little bit idea of, of this Hebrew mentality. But it said, let all that I am, the psalmist writes, praise the Lord. With my whole heart, with my whole inner being, I will praise his holy name. I will thank God for who he is. From my insides, I want to love you. Then he says, love God with all of your soul. Now again, the literal translation here would probably be translated life. And it's just hard sometimes when, when you try to take some Hebrew phrases and put it into English. But what happens here is it, it really can be love the Lord your God with all of your passion, with all of your energy. Show 
by your actions that you love God. Now, let me say it this way. There are thousands of ways that people know that you love your family. There are thousands of ways by the way you act that people will know that you love your job, or some of you. And there's also thousands of ways that people will know that you love your sport. And you just kind of fill in the blanks. When you love something, it shows. My question is this. Love the Lord with all of your soul. Can people also tell that you love the Lord by your actions? And then lastly, the word that might be the most unique out of all the words But it says, love the Lord with all of your strength. And some of you are kind of flexing and thinking this is all your, you know, your muscles and so on. Literally, the literal translation for this would be muchness. Love the Lord your God with all your muchness. Now, there's no such word as muchness. But I'm going to use it, all right? Because we're going to go down that direction. I think you're getting it, though. Love the Lord your God with your abundance, with all that you have. You know, we spend our muchness on what we love. What would you think of a man who says he loves his but doesn't spend a dime on her. Let me remind you, there's even a few people, perhaps even in this room right now, that have fallen in love and have used their muchness to buy a ring. Sometimes you spend a lot of your muchness on the ring. And sometimes in our culture, those that receive a ring like showing the ring and how much muchness your bow spent on your ring. All right? I know no, no one here, so you don't have to worry. But there is something about a young man who is just totally in love. And, oh, I want to show her. This is exciting for me. I love to be extravagant. Now, as we look at this understanding of loving God, Moses said, hey, I want you to love God with all of your heart, your mind, everything that's inside of you. And I want you to love God with all of your actions, all of your life. Every, all, the, all the outside of you. But I also want you to love God with all of your muchness. You know, the truth is, is that at the end of every year, 
everyone who is legal fills out a tax return. And you put on one line your muchness. Okay? You do. And then somewhere down the, the forms, there's another line. And sometimes it's charitable giving, or sometimes it's... And it's how much of that line what percentage of that line kind of shows how much you love the Lord. Now I am not saying again that there's a rule. I'm not. Because I think in the age of grace this is an amazing thing. But God says this, I want you to think about me, if you love me, and I want you to act like you love me, and I want you to show by your muchness how much you love me. So my question would be this, what percentage of your muchness would be an acceptable expression of your love for God? I don't know. But you know, I do know this if we look at national averages. Sometimes people who call themselves Christians, God fears, people that say, I love you, God, they give 1% of their muchness. 2% of their muchness. And again, I'm not here. I, I have no clue what anybody gives, to be quite honest. But I know this, is that my own personal life, as Sharon and I look at our muchness every year, we want to be able to grow in our percentage. We want to be able to be more generous every year because God is becoming more and more important to me. You know, when I was a younger believer, the truth is, you know, especially when you're six or seven or eight years old and you get your allowance and and your mom and dad helps you understand and you put it in the plate or you put it in loose change, or, or whatever. And that's a wonderful thing. But what happens as you grow older and as you fall more and more and more in love with God? You know what he says? He says, I've given you all this. The truth is, is that God doesn't need our muchness. He doesn't. But we need to give God some of our muchness. Now, as we move on here, ultimately, we show God or our love for God by responding to God, not only loving him with our heart and our soul and our muchness, but also by obeying him, listening to him. You're all in Deuteronomy still. I'm just going to start reading at verse 6 of chapter 6. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands 
that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Commit yourself to obeying my commands. My commands are good. Repeat them. Talk about them. Tie them. Wear them. Write them. You know, in 1 John chapter 2, John the Apostle writes this. All right, starting in verse 5. Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. As we obey God, we are showing we love God. Now, what's so encouraging, John writes just a little bit later in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says, my commands are not out of reach. My commands are not too burdensome. My commands literally are good for you and will give you life. My commands will help you in this journey called life. First John chapter 5, verse 3, loving God means keeping his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. In fact, his commands are good for you. They're good for me. They bring life. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 13, Moses again in his sermon saying, and you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own Now, if you would, let's turn to Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. It's just right to the left of the Deuteronomy passage. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm not so sure how many of you have read Leviticus Uh, for your devotions recently. Leviticus is a tough book to wade through, mostly because it talks about God's holiness and the holiness of God's people. And so there's, at that time, there's a whole lot of sacrifices, a whole lot of things that have to happen in order to connect you with God well. Now, the beautiful thing in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ came and was the ultimate and the perfect sacrifice for all of us, a sacrifice that happened once for all. So we don't have to go and continue the sacrifices of blood and, or, or, or the sacrificial blood sacrifices of rams and sheep. But Jesus paid our debt. So really what Leviticus is talking about is, hey, you have a holy God. You have a God that's amazing. And again, I've tried to share with you, holy isn't something that you attain to. It's a good way to look at it as being you're clean. You've confessed your sin. God cannot have communication or can connect with us if we are dirty. If we are living in sin, so again, God gives us an amazing promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we're connected with God once again. 
But in light of this, what God is telling us, ultimately, ultimately, be holy like I'm holy. I want you to stay clean. I want you to enjoy life. Obeying me will give you life. Walk with me and you will treat others differently. And then we come to the text ultimately. Love your neighbor like you'll love yourself. Treat others like family. You know, even the most selfish of all people seem to still focus on their families right? But God is just saying this. I want you to love those outside of your own world like you would love yourself. Now, Jesus himself, again, in the last night that he was alive, gave this a brand new perspective. In John chapter 13, starting in verse 34, Jesus is there, well, just finishing washing all of his disciples' feet. A job that literally was reserved only for the slaves, for the servants. But he did that. And in John 13, starting in verse 34, he said this, Love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Jesus modeled again what being others-centered looked like. We can try to do that all we want, but unless we have God's power within us, We're never going to treat others the way God intended them to be treated. Remember, God continually chips away all the things as we walk with him that don't reflect him well. And basically, I'm a pretty selfish guy, and probably you guys are pretty selfish. And that's one of the things that God begins to chip away in our lives. Now, as I wrap up this message, I like to just kind of Look at one other thing. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, so many of you at least have a rough idea what they are, but the Ten Commandments literally show us what loving God and loving others look like. You see, the first four commandments talk about loving God. Commandments 5 through 10 talk about loving God. Others. Now, if you look at our original text back in Mark, this is the great commandment. Because if we loved God and loved others perfectly, we would fulfill the law completely. You see, Matthew records that Jesus ended this statement just a little bit differently. He said this, after he quoted Deuteronomy and Leviticus, he said the entire Old Testament can be summarized by these commands. Over 600 regulations in the Old Testament. 
And Jesus basically said this, these two commandments encompass it all. Encompass it all. God is saying loving God and loving others covers it all. Now here's my question today. So many of you do know the Lord. Maybe each, everyone here. And so many understand how important it is for us to have a relationship with God and to nurture that relationship so that we might grow and experience abundant life, enjoy eternal life someday. But when Jesus talked about loving God and loving others, I get convicted. You would think by this time I would have my act together. You would think that, that really, Rick, you don't really love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your muchness. No. And that makes me sad. It doesn't mean I'm not growing. But I would think, after the time that I've spent in the Word and seen how amazing and wonderful and gracious our God is, that would absolutely mesmerize me every moment of every waking moment, uh, day. But I get distracted. I forget. I get busy. And this is a reminder for me, this has got to be a priority. Because if it is a priority, if it is, my life is going to change. And it's going to change for the better. Then loving others. Wow, I'd like to be able to show you a video of, of all the great ways I loved others this last week. And I just ask God, why am I so selfish at times? Why is it, God, that, that this is such a struggle at times? Lord, I get to be your hands, your feet, your voice. In your name, I have great power. In your name, I can make a difference. In your name, Lord. And sometimes I'm comfortable. And sometimes I have my, well, way of doing things. And as I'm preparing this message this week, Say, Lord, I, I just need to grow. I need to love you differently, and I need to love you in a way, God, that honors you better. You know, this week, 
I got an email from Converge. Converge, in case you don't know, is our conference. We're part of the Converge conference. And really, it's, it's been quite devastating, this whole hurricane thing. And we've all seen certain things like this before, and th- this one just seemed to be heavier. I mean, a hurricane just literally just sitting on top of you for 48 straight hours, watching loved ones and, and muchness disappear. Just even so grateful to get out of there alive. And some didn't even do that. And the opportunity that we have as a church, because the police went out and said, you know, we have five churches down there. And I love, I love the opportunity to partner with other churches to do mission trips with other churches, to help other churches be able to be salt and light in their community, especially if we have means. And in just a little bit, we're going to take another offering. So if you're here for the very first time, I guess we take a lot of offerings here. That's all I can say. But we tried to even prepare you for this so that that you might be able to give generously from your muchness to care for somebody who's hurting. My hope is even eventually when it opens up that we will be able to even take a mission trip or two down there to be able to literally partner with these churches, to be able to rebuild them, encourage them. But what's so cool about the church is not only do they need help, but then as they stay as lighthouses in that community for the rest of their days, they get to minister to all those around graciously and abundantly. And maybe we can have a part of that. Wouldn't that be cool? So I ask you, as I close my time in prayer, to think of a couple things. Where can I grow in my love for God? Because maybe I've been a little casual. And where can I grow in loving others? Let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the reminder of what's important. I do know life gets hectic, Lord. And I know that sometimes I just forget all that's important. But I pray, Father, that not only I grow, but that we grow in love for you and love for others. Would we spend time thinking about you and so unbelievably grateful for all that you've done and the position that we have? Would we be able to serve you with all of our energy, investing in people and others, Would God, we be more generous with our muchness? 
and make it apparent that we love you with all of our hearts and souls and muchness. And Lord, could we learn to love others better? Would we literally, when there's needs, when there's opportunities, would would we, by your power and strength, be your hands and your feet and reach out and love others, whether it be kids in our ministry or kids in a school or wherever you send us, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.